We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm so proud of y'all coming to church on such a beautiful day. You get a gold star for choosing correctly. Life is all about choices, isn't it? And uh, we heard an amazing message last week is from Pastor Josh. Can we just give Pastor Josh a hand? That was an amazing way to kick off our brand new message series called Sculpted, based on the book of Ephesians. And um, I love the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is just rich. I like things that are meaty and rich, kind of like when you go to a restaurant. I don't want you to give me no foo-foo like meal. Don't give me no steak that's like three ounces with some flowers on the side of it. Give me something I could sink my teeth into. You know, that's gonna fill me up. And, uh, and Ephesians does just that. Ephesians is chock packed full of just rich goodness and theology and Paul just unpacking who we are in Christ and our new life in him and and about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. Come on, is anybody grateful for the mercy, the faithfulness and the grace of God? And today we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul now gets into um, and in chapter 1 where he talks about how God is sovereign and he's in control and he he predestined things for us. In other words, there's a plan in motion from the beginning of time that God had in mind. And, and we're going to find out today that you and I, we're, we're a part of that plan. That life isn't just random. In fact, everything in this world, if we listen to the world, will try to tell you that life is random. Things just happen. Circumstances surrounding your life right now are just happen chance. They're, 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 they're just, you know, circumstances, and you got to just, that's just life, and you live through it. But the reality is, is when I read my Bible, um, I begin to understand more and more and more clearly that nothing happens just by chance. That, that even the things that happen to us that God never intended to happen, you understand that, right? Like, just because God is in control and he's sovereign, it doesn't mean that everything that happens to you in your life is ordained by him. He allows things. I like to say it like this. Everything goes through the Father filter, right? It has to filter through him. He could stop it if he wanted to, but he allows us, he gives us this gift of choice that you and I get to choose every day. In fact, there's so many scriptures about choice. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Every day is a choice. You got up this morning. You had to choose to come to church. And you did a good job, I think. And, and even though you may not have come to church this morning um, because you chose it necessarily, maybe your wife or your girlfriend or your friend or your brother or your parent made you come to church, you didn't really have a choice. All the kids are like, yeah, man, I'm stuck here. My mom made me come to church, and i got to listen to you for the next 40 minutes. And I would say to you that you're not here by accident, that you're here for a purpose, and that God has a plan for today, right now, right here. Even before you leave, there's a plan in place that God had prepared before you even got up and knew that you were choosing to come to church. That's one of the things I love about church. It's, it's like Forrest Gump says, you get into the box of chocolates, mama says, you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> 
Like when you show up in God's presence, you never know what can happen. God can take a seemingly impossible situation in your life and he could turn it around and use it for good and take what was impossible and make it possible just in his presence. That's the power of our God. And we're going to look at that today in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. If you don't, that's okay too. We're going to have it up on the screens for you and I'm going to read it to you. So you could just sit back, kick back, relax, read it on your phone, do whatever. I want to give a few shout outs this morning. Sometimes we forget that um, amazing as our church here in Kalispell is, we have, we have a couple of other locations where church family is meeting. And so I just want to take a moment, first of all, to welcome all of you who are joining our church family online. We recognize that there's many of you that uh, through this whole weird COVID season, 2020 season, that uh, for a lot of us, that season, we started engaging church online. And I'm grateful for the technology, aren't you? Um, but we also want to invite you at some point when you're ready to take that step, you got to get here because there's nothing like worshiping together. Amen. There's nothing like gathering around the word of God together, but we just want to welcome you. Can we take a moment to welcome all of those who are part of the family, but are joining us online today? We love you guys. We're so grateful for you. Also, can we give it up for our family in Eureka? We love you guys. We're so grateful for technology that you're joining us. Love you so much, Pastor Jeremy and Sheetal and the team up there. We love you guys. And then Pastors Dennis and Debbie McPherson down at, uh, yeah, Hope City, downtown Kalispell. Y'all are doing the real work of the ministry down there. We're up here in our cush home right here in, in this big, beautiful building. But we just want to welcome you to join us today. We believe God has something for you. All right. I'm going to get into the word this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. I love the title of this passage. It says, Made Alive in Christ. Made Alive in Christ. Is there any area of your life that you'd like to see be made alive this morning? I don't know about you, but I've got areas in my life where the, I'm not experiencing the fullness of the life that Jesus paid to give you and me in. There's some dead areas in my life where I'm not seeing the, the life and the fruit that I like to see in it that I know that God has for me. And, and I hope this morning that you're encouraged because in the word we're going to read that Paul's encouraging us that he's reminding us just like he was reminding the church in Ephesus that you are made alive in Christ. So listen to this. And I want you to take special note to the language that Paul uses. He makes a transition. There's a transition that happens around verse 4 where he's talking about how you used to be and who you are now. Aren't you glad you're not who you used to be? I was sitting there praising God, and we were singing that song, Gratitude. And, and, I, and that's that line, I just throw up my hands and thank God, and I sing hallelujah. And I was sitting there and thinking, man, I've been walking with God for almost 30 years, and I'm so grateful. I'm not the same man that I used to be. Uh, and yet, uh, there's so much more I know that God wants to do in my life. And, and we're going to see Paul's going to encourage us in that very thing this morning. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. Um, the Bible talks about him being the ruler of this world in this kingdom. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. And I love it. Here's the transition. But God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And, it, and, and God raised us up with Christ, that's speaking of the resurrection life in us now, and seated us with him in heavenly realms, that's vision, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork. This is the main passage we're going to hone in on today, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. Some translations say workmanship. You get the idea. You're in the hands of God, and God is working something in you. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to say that last one again. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that challenges us, even though it was written hundreds, thousands of years ago, God, that you can use it in our life today, now. Father God, we thank you that we are not who we used to be. Today, I pray that we get fresh revelation out of your scripture as to who you made us. We are your masterpiece. God, let that sink in. Let it go deep in our spirit today. And God, I pray that you would use it to change us, to transform us. God, we just surrender ourselves to you right now. We say, God, make us into your masterpiece. I pray that you would use this little time that we have. God, I give you this microphone. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come do what you prepared to do, what you purposed to do today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And now I want to take a minute. Would you do me a favor? This is, this is a collaborative prayer right here. I just prayed for us. Now I want you to pray with me for our nation. Will you do that? Father, we lift up the great nation of the United States to you. Father, we pray that revival would sweep over this nation. God, we know that our answer isn't stimulus checks. Our answer isn't who got voted into office. It isn't in a political party. It is in you, Jesus. It's in you, in Christ alone. That's our hope. That's the hope for this nation. God, would you return our hearts back to you? God, would you sweep over this nation? Would you cause revival to begin in your church? God, let it begin in me. Let it begin in our church right here in little Kalispell, Montana. God, I pray for every church in this valley. God, that revival would begin with us and that it would spread like wildfire and it would make it all the way to the White House, that you would turn this nation upside down with your presence, with your power, and with your resurrection life. Once again, we lift up President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris to you. God, we pray if they don't know you that they would come to saving faith in you and that you would surround them with godly men and women to lead our country back to you one nation in god we trust amen 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 hallelujah. well hallelujah i love that yeah i say hallelujah too because i still believe in this great nation i got faith that god isn't finished with us yet amen 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 the title of my message this morning is masterpiece in the making 
masterpiece in the making. Now, if you're anything like me, most days when I get up in the morning, I feel anything but a masterpiece. I feel like a piece, but I'm not sure it's a masterpiece. <laughs> and so I read passages of scriptures like this, and we read passages of scripture like this, and we think, yeah, man, that's for like the good people. That's for like, man, that's for the awesome Christians. That's for you, Pastor Lance. Like God is doing something, man, I can see God working in your life, but I don't really see him working that way in my life. I don't know that I believe that I can actually be who God made me to be, who he created me to be, to be who he prepared me to be, who he predestined me to be. Yet, if we're gonna believe and, and the mechanism through which God works in us is this thing called faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is a gift from God, Paul says. And that word saved is the Greek word. You know that, that the Bible is not written in English language. And it's written in the New Testament, mostly in Greek. In the Old Testament, mostly Hebrew, Aramaic. And so when they translated languages, sometimes the translation, we don't get the fullness of that word or a good enough description to let it, let it hit us in the right way. When Paul says you are saved by grace through faith, that word saved is the Greek word sozo. I love that word sozo because unlike our English language that is saved, we think saved is like I'm saved in a moment. And for many of us, that's the beginning of our faith journey is we make a decision, we have a choice. See, last week, um, Josh talked to us about we have a choice. We get to choose, even though God pre-planned and predestined, and he wants to make, he's got a plan to make you into something. He got a plan to make you into a masterpiece. We've got to choose to give God control of our life. And the level um, to which we give God control is the level to which he paints more of the picture of who we are becoming and who God is created us to be in him, in Christ. And that word sozo, it gives us this picture of a masterpiece in the making. Because that word sozo means not only am I saved, that means I made a choice to surrender my life, to give it to Jesus. And many, I hope in this room, have made that choice at one point or another. I made it over 30 years ago. But my salvation is a here and now. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. But it's also a process. It's a sanctification process. It means, that word means I am saved, but I'm not just saved on the day that I chose to surrender my life to Jesus. It means that I am continually being saved. I am continually being changed. That word means that I am not only saved, it means that I am delivered. I am continually being delivered of things in my life that are not bringing me life, but are dead. They're leading me more and more into death. Paul is giving this in the beginning, a description, and I love it because it's just like a master jeweler that God has this perfect diamond that he's shaping you into. And yet, to get a picture of how beautiful that diamond is, just like a master jeweler, in the hand of a master jeweler, the master, he takes out this black piece of velvet and he puts the jewel up to the black velvet so that you can see the fullness 
of what the beauty of that looks like. You have to look at it at, in the backdrop of the darkness. Oh man, I'm talking to somebody this morning. Because he, here's the thing, Paul is giving us a picture of if you're gonna see how really alive you are in Christ, I need to remind you of the darkness that you came out of. I need to remind you of how you used to live and all the darkness that was associated with the way that you used to live in your former way of life, in the way that you used to think when you followed the ways of the world. It didn't bring life to you, it brought death to you. And so easily we could slip back and, and without even recognizing it, we could choose to go back and slip into our old way of life. And, and, and in the process, things get darkened in us. And so I've got a few, a few points to you that I believe will encourage you this morning as we are a masterpiece in the making. You see, the church in Ephesus, some of the people, they were new to their faith. They were Gentiles and there were Jews in this church. And Paul was trying to help them make the transition from their old life to the new life. Now, I don't know how many of you in the room or maybe you're watching, you're new to this valley. But, but one of the things that drives me crazy I just, how many of you loved this weekend? This weekend was amazing. I hope that you got to get outside. Me and my family went up, went up to Libby yesterday and we got to go to Kootenai Falls and do the Swinging Bridge. And man, it was just beautiful up there, almost 75 degrees. Loving, loving spring in Montana right now. <laughs> right now. And that's the key word, now. Because if you're newer to Montana, and I welcome you, and a lot of people, they don't like everybody that's moving here, and, and they're like, man, this weather's too nice. We need these people to go home. We need bad weather. And I just say, no, 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 welcome. We welcome you in. We welcome you to this church. We welcome you to this valley. It doesn't matter where you came from. Um, we just welcome you here. But, but let me give you a little bit of tip from somebody who's lived now in Montana for 21 years. Springtime is the weirdest season in Montana. Just when you thought it was safe, come on, like Jaws, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, just when you thought it was safe to wear shorts outside, all of a sudden, one day it's 75 degrees, and it's springtime, and buds are coming up, and, and flowers are starting to spring up, and just when you thought that transition from one nature to a new nature happens from things being dead and lying dormant in the dead of winter and that transition into new life, I think Montana gets a little bit schizophrenic. I think it's a little bit bipolar. One day it's in new life and it's spring and we're all happy and we're going to the park and we're going outside. And, and then the next day I got to put on my down jacket because it's freezing out, it's snowing out. I walk outside, I'm like, what is going on? Would you just make up your mind? It forgets. You're not, you're not in winter anymore. You're not dead anymore. This is a new season. You have a new nature. And I think Paul is trying to tell us this is the same problem that some of us have. We have trouble in transition. You're not dead anymore. You don't live that new life. This is a new season. You're in life now. I, Christ made you alive. And we forget. We got a new nature. I'm not who I used to be. God told me to tell some of you this morning, you're not who you used to be. See, what the enemy loves to do is he loves to keep you in a dead way of living. 
He loves to keep us stuck in our old way of living in our old life because he's scared to death. If the church starts stepping into the new life that Christ paid the price for and you start experiencing that resurrection life and that resurrection power and you get a revelation of the masterpiece that God made you to be, God doesn't make no junk. He didn't make you junk. It doesn't matter if your mama conceived you. God conceived you in his mind before you were even born. God knew you. He shaped you. He formed you. He knew every hair on your head. He planned the good things that he prepared for you long ago. And even though you don't feel like a masterpiece, through the hose of faith, I believe that God is doing something in me. I don't even see it working. It's like the iceberg effect. See, we only see the tip. We only see, man, I've only grown this much. But if you could only see the way God sees, this is why God needed to raise us up with him and give us resurrection life. Come on, could you put up my first point? I'm having trouble a little bit. We got to make some choices if we're going to make the transition. Everything in life is about choices. You can't change without starting to make the right choice. There's no transition without choosing. And I got three things for you that we need to choose. The first one is this. You need to choose to live in your new life. You need to choose to live in the new life that Jesus paid the price for. When, when Paul says that he raises us up with Christ and seats us with him, this is talking about he's given us a new life. He's given you a new heart. I'll never become the masterpiece. So I love the Paul, just like a, a, a heart surgeon. He gets right to the heart of the matter. He realizes that later on in Ephesians, we're going to get into Christian living. We're going to get into the practicalities of how you walk this out in everyday life. But Paul understands something that you and I understand, that if we don't get the, the heart right, if we don't make this transition from living a dead life, an unfruitful life, a life that lacks purpose, a life that at the end of the day, we might have collected a paycheck, but did we live with purpose? Did we live for something greater than ourselves? And, and Paul understands that unless we're able to make this transition to where we stop hanging on to the old life and we put on the new life. In fact, I'm gonna fast forward to chapter four. And I'm going to get into chapter 4 a little bit because there's a connection here between the beginning of chapter 2 and chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Look at what Paul says. He's reminding them, just like a good parent, he's not trying to tell them what to do. He's trying to remind them of who they are. And he says this, so I tell you this and insist on it. Listen to the strong language. Paul's insisting on it, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That's people that live in the world. That's not Christians. In the futility of their thinking. Futility means it's meaningless. Man, I was thinking about how many meaningless we, things we spend. Listen, you have to understand something. You're either spending your time or you're investing your time. Paul's trying to tell us that God has a plan and a purpose for your life for something greater than what you could do on your own and with your life. Too many of us are just spending our time instead of investing our time. Investing's different than spending. I spend something, I can't get that money back. It's gone. That's just like time. My day, man, we spent, we, we have more things at our disposal today on these phones, 
Like, man, I could waste time like nobody's business. I could be scrolling through Instagram. I could be playing games. I could be spending time. The worst thing in the world that Apple, and the best thing that Apple ever did was give me my screen time. Because it shows me how much time am I wasting and versus how much time am I investing. And Paul says, you can't, in the world they do that. But you're better than that. You're made for more of that. There's so much more in you. He says, listen, they were darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality. Man, this is just like our culture today. They were fighting the same things that we do. There's so much pulling on us. There's so much sensuality out in the world. There's so much that wants to pull and suck your time and pull you out of the purpose and out of the plan of God and to just morph the image that God made you to be that's in you. And he says to this in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. That's not the way of life you learned. And Paul is reminding them, and he's reminding us, when you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with him and the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life in the past to look at this, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be new, made new in what? The attitude of your mind. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the transition that we all need to make. We got to take off the old things, the old way of living, the old way of thinking, the old way. You can't talk the way you talk. You can't think the way you used to think. You got to choose to make the change. You got to start getting in the word of God. It's amazing to me how neuroscience is starting to catch up with the Bible. <laughs> the Bible people talk about, man, the Bible's irrelevant. Pastor Land, what does that have to do with my life today? And it's amazing to me that a book, an ancient book that was written thousands of years ago, scientists are now proving it to be true. And one of the, one of the areas of science that is proving it to be true is neuroscience. That's how your mind works, how um, God created your brain, your mind to work with your thoughts and your emotions and the attachment in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions and how they're all connected. And, and what neuroscience is proving to be true is that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to understand God's perfect, pleasing goodwill for you. Too many of us, we don't even know what God wants us to do because we're so stuck in our old ways of thinking and our old ways of living that what happens is neuroscience has shown us that because we've thought so, so much that way for so long, your brain has neural pathways that over and over again, it's like it carves out. Just like yesterday, we were in Libby, and it's amazing to me how water has carved out a pathway. And just like that, your thoughts... They carve out neural pathways as you think them over and over again. And this is so your brain can be more efficient, that you can do things without even thinking. The problem with that is we do things without even thinking. And we think our old way. And the Bible says, your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. 
and I got to get a new way of thinking. That's why Paul says, Christ raised us up. That's resurrection life. He gave you new life and he seated you with Christ in heavenly places. Does that mean right now I'm seated with Christ? No, when I choose to live in my new life, I choose to abide in Christ. When I abide in Christ, Christ can now take me up to a place where I can see differently. I don't see it being down on ground level. When I choose to live the ways of this life in the world, I can only see what the world sees. But when I stay in Christ and when I abide in him and I stay in that new life, now he raises me above the, the crowd. He raises me above the noise. He pulls me back so I can see the big picture. It's kind of like looking at a puzzle box. God says, this is the masterpiece that I'm making you into. And all I see is broken pieces on the ground. And my life is random. And it's a mess. And it's a big pile of pieces. And God says, if you'll trust me, I will show you piece by piece. I'm putting you together. I'm building something in you. I'm the master builder. If you'll let me be the cornerstone of your life. Isn't it interesting that to start a puzzle, puzzle you got to start with the corner. Paul later on in Ephesians 2 is going to say, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, he's got to be my foundation. When he's the foundation and he raises me up, seated with him, he says, see, I'm going to give you a new way to see things. I'm going to give you new thoughts if you will listen to me and obey. Notice one of the things that Paul says that keeps us in the old way of living. Disobedience. Then when we don't obey what God tells us to do, this is, this is learning to live that new life. I got to live that new life, but I got to break free of my old patterns and habits, and that takes intentionality. In fact, most um, neuroscientists believe it takes around 40 days to break old ways of thinking. That's interesting. 40 is a significant number in the Bible. 40 is the number of breakthrough. It took 40 years for the Israelites to break free of the slavery of Egypt. Now, they were free but they were still in bondage to their old life, their old way of living. 40, 40 days. What would happen if you got in the word every day for 40 days? I was thinking about how the Bible says that, that we're cleansed by the washing of the word. As I get in the word every day and I read the Bible, the Bible, I'm, I'm doing more than reading the Bible. The Bible is the living word that is washing away the filth of my old way of life my old way of living. All the garbage I picked up in the day, before I go to bed, when I pick up the word and read it, it's just washing it away, washing it away. Uh, I'm not a very good handyman. Um, why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> my wife is the one. She ain't laughing, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Poor thing, she got to put up with me, grew up on the streets of Yonkers, New York, never learned how to even do anything, didn't know what a wrench was. And last week, our sink was leaking, and so she bought it. She buys a new sink, and she puts it, she'll put it, like, on my bed or something as, like, a hint, like, <laughs> it's time to do this. And I avoid it because here's what I've learned about myself. My old way of thinking is that I can't do this. That's not me. Um, that's not who I am. And I allow that to make me feel overwhelmed, and I don't feel prepared to do what God is asking me to do or what my wife is asking me to do. But last week she's like, uh, she, she told my son, Jonathan wants to do this with you. And I know better. I'm like, my son didn't say that. But she kind of used that to get me going on the project. 
and, and it, all the stuff was out of the box, and I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. But I almost got anxiety thinking, oh my gosh, and it's like 6 o'clock at night, and I'm worried. I'm, I know something's going to go wrong because it always does. And, uh, and so I start Googling and YouTubing how to change out a sink because I'm not prepared, right? I'm not prepared for this. And um, we put the sink in and everything, and we got to a point where we were trying to get the old sink out. And I didn't realize that it wasn't actually the new sink that was going to be as much of a problem putting in as it was getting out the old one. And we started taking the, the, the bolt off of the, that held everything in. I detached all the old cables. And now I got to get, and what happened was water, because it was leaking over time, it had rusted the bolt on there. And we got it about halfway, but we couldn't get it off all the way. We were stuck. This is like some of us in our Christian life. We've gotten halfway out of our old life, and then we get stuck, and we don't know what to do. And so we just stay stuck in this pattern of old living. And my son Blake, brilliant. We're all sitting there, I'm like, man, I guess this isn't happening today. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to get a special tool. I'm gonna have to call a plumber, I don't know. And my, my, my son, Blake, he's like, I got an idea, Dad. And he runs out into the garage, and he goes into the toolbox, and he comes out with this little hacksaw. And he's like, we're just going to saw it off. <laughs> and I'm like, brilliant. I'm like, that ain't ever going to work. I'm like, this is pipe, man. You can't do that. And he's like, well, let's try it. And he gets in, he starts sawing, and he starts sawing. And, and guess what? He starts cutting through. And, it, and finally, after like hacking at that thing for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. He took a break. He sweated. Finally, he gets through that thing. That thing breaks off, and we get the old one off, and we put the new one on, and, and it's been amazing. We start using that new one, but here's the problem. I went to wash dishes the other day, and our old sink, it, was, it had the spout in the middle, and over to the right was the handle where you turned the sink on, and you hot and left. This new one, everything is on that middle part. Everything, like turn it on, the hot cold is on one thing. Over here to the right in that little hole that was empty that we had to fill is, is the soap dispenser. So now I'm washing dishes, and you know, I'm washing dishes, I'm not even thinking, and I promise you, five times I, I tried to turn the water on, and I got soap all over me because... <laughs> I'm reaching for what I think is the handle, but I'm actually grabbing the soap. And I got so mad at myself because I kept washing. I get so frustrated. I'm like, oh, dang it. I couldn't get used to the new way. It wasn't natural to me. That's just like our life in Christ, man. We've got a new nature inside of us, but it isn't natural for us to learn how to live in that new life, to take advantage of that new life. And we got to intentionally stop and think and look at our life and say, what areas of my life are causing me to be dead? What areas of my life do not have the resurrection life in power that, that God died for me to give me, to give to me? Look at Matthew 16, 26 in the Amplified. It says this, for what will it profit a man? What will I gain if I gain the whole world and I forfeit his life? his blessed life in the kingdom of God? Or what would a man give in exchange for his blessed life in the kingdom of God? I wonder how many of us, because we can't make that choice and we don't make that transition, that, that transition into the life that God had, how many of us, we're living a life, it's got no life in it. 
It's just dead. The Bible calls it dead works. We're working. We're working hard. We could even do good things. We could do religious things. But if it's not in the life of God, if I'm not doing it out of his grace, it's just dead. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to which make him happy. Human history, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. The only way that you and I are truly going to be free is when we live, we choose to live in that new life. So here's what I want to tell you in wrapping this part up. Stop living in the past and start living in his presence. The life is in the presence of God. That's why when we're in worship, there's so much life in the room. The God says, it says he inhabits the praises of his people. There's life in the middle of praise. There's life, and I can step into it at any moment. I can say, I'm tired of living like this. And some of us are. And what I would say to you is, stop letting the dead things of the past. You know, I love history, and I was studying. I love the medieval times. They're interesting in a lot of different ways. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is the way they used to torture people. <laughs> that sounds so weird. I'm tired. I, I'm not by nature, like, don't like pain and suffering and all that. But what I thought was interesting is, is one of their, and this is going to gross some of you out, but I also hope that you never forget it for the rest of your life. One of the ways that they used to torture prisoners is they used to chain them together. And they used to chain them together with one of them who was really sick or ill that would probably die, and they knew it. And they inevitably at some point would die, and the prisoner that was still alive, they would leave the dead man chained to him. And over time, as his body began to putrefy and rot, it would start to putrefy and rot their skin, and it would begin to kill them in the process. I think this is a picture for the way some of us are trying to live our new life. We're trying to live our new life in Christ, but we got too many dead things hanging on to us. We got too many dead things chained to us, and we need to have Christ. We need to cry out and say, God, I am tired of living chained to these dead things. Today's the day I choose. Come, Lord Jesus, and snip away the chains that are holding the dead things to my life. I want to be free. I want to be free to be who you made me to be, but I can't be free as long as I got those things chained to me. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but that's not you any longer. Now you're free. Second thing I want to tell you, and I got to go fast, is that we need to choose to live for the purpose that God made you. Choose to live for God's purpose for your life. Now, I use this language on purpose for a purpose. Because for many of us, I think, in the Christian life, we like the idea of God setting us free and giving us a new life. But then what we want to do is we want God to fulfill my purposes for my life. Like, I want to be free to be a good guy now. Like, I want to be free of my addiction. I want to be free to be a better husband, a better wife, a better employee. Like, I want the life of God in me, but I want to add Jesus onto my agenda, my purpose, my plan, not yield to his purpose and his plan for my life. And Paul's telling us that God prepared and has a purpose for your life. He prepared good works for you to do, good things. 
But too many of us, we're so stuck in that old way of life that we can't break free and we can't allow God to do what he wants to do in us so that he could use me for something bigger than myself. Do you know that um, when I studied psychology, there's this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's, it's basic human needs. It's, it's things that you need like on the bottom. It's levels of need. And on the bottom is things like, I need air, right? To breathe, I need oxygen in my lungs. I need water, I need food. And as you get the basic things, as you move up that ladder, the hierarchy, the higher you, you go, the less needy you are for those things. But what's interesting is as they've studied that more over time, they found that what they thought wasn't a great need, which is a need to be used for something a purpose bigger than myself, that they actually found that that need is just as great as some of the basic needs to be alive. Let me translate that to you. In order for you to be fully alive in Christ, you got to find a purpose that God has for your life that's greater than yourself. And when you start living out of that purpose, what you find is you are empowered with new life. This is why when some of you, when, when you serve on the prayer ministry team in the church, when you start walking in the things that God prepared for you long ago, and you start moving in your purpose, let me tell you, all hell will come against you. Because the devil doesn't want, now he, he'll let you get that new life as long as you don't do anything with it. And that's the problem with the church. Too many of us are sitting in the pews, we've got new life, we've got a new destiny, we've got a new purpose. But we're not walking in that purpose. We're not walking in that destiny. Too many of us, we feel unprepared. And here's the thing. While God is trying to create a masterpiece, that word masterpiece is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem. It, it paints, it, and it's not necessarily that, 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 that's what the idea, it is that you are a work of art. That you are a beautiful poem that God is trying to write with your life. Your, your beautiful work of art that God is trying to, to graft into your life. But for too many of us, we are allowing the enemy to mutilate what God meant for a masterpiece. Let me give you a definition of what mutilate means. Because man, when that hit me, I'm like, oh my goodness. John 10.10 says this. It contrasts the two things, death to life, just like what Paul's doing. Jesus himself said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But the enemy of our soul wants to mutilate the masterpiece. Look at the definition, dictionary.com. It says, to injure, to disfigure, or to make imperfect by removing or irreparably damaging parts. I'm going to read that to you again. I don't know it really sunk in. Think about this. I want you to think about your life now. Romans um, 8, 28, it says, for God causes all things to work for good. For the, now there's a prerequisite here. For those who love him and are what? Called according to his purpose. So here's the prerequisite. If you love God, God will cause everything, the good, the bad, the ugly in your life, your past, your present, your future, everything that the enemy tried to mutilate the image of God in you. God will come along and he'll fix that painting. He said, yeah, I know. 
Just like Joseph, he was thrown in a pit by his brothers. He was rejected. He was thrown in prison. He was, he was for years. And then he gets finally to the place that God has the purpose for his life. And, and he should be mad at God. He should be disappointed with his life. The enemy mutilated my life, but he recognizes something. He says what, what he meant for evil, God meant to use for good. And what you need to understand about your purpose is that everything in your life, God didn't cause it. That's not what, that's not what Romans 8, 28 says. It says he causes all things. How many things in your life? Not one, not two, all of it. He causes all of it to what? Work for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a promise I'm going to hold on to. That's a promise that I need in my life because the enemy wants to injure you. He wants to disfigure you and make you imperfect by removing. Now, this is an important part. It's setting up my last point, and I'm almost done. By removing or irreparably damaging parts. So God wants to put so much, or the enemy rather wants to put so much shame and guilt on you, and he wants to mutilate the image of God so you don't even know who you are. But Paul's reminding you that you are a masterpiece in the making. I'm making something out of you. We don't feel prepared for it. So we don't step into it in faith, through faith. Can I remind you something? If God has prepared it for me, then he's prepared me for it. If God has prepared it for me, then he's prepared me for it. You see, what I got to understand is everything, all the good, the bad, the ugly that's happened in my life. God is the master potter. We are like clay and he's using it and he's working it. We're his workmanship. There's no wonder that they called that Jesus grew up as a carpenter. He's working something. He learned to work with his hands. Jesus is still working with his hands. He's got his hands on your life as long as you don't remove yourself. See, this is the problem. We don't separate. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Yet we leave him. My Bible says nothing can separate me from the love of God, but I can remove myself out of his hand. And you got to stay in, in his hand. That's why, that's why when Jesus was leaving the earth, he told the disciples, he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. He said, stay in me. You got to choose to stay in my hands. You got to choose to stay in that life. And if you do, man, I'm making something beautiful out of you. One step at a time, one moment. Every choice you make, I'm using it. I'm using it when you choose to come to church. I'm using it when you choose to go to connect group. I'm using it when you choose to start stepping into your purpose. That's why we got a class called the Discover class that's happening today in second service because we want to help you as the church. That leads me to my last point. The enemy wants to mutilate you. One of the part of the definition is he wants to remove you from being a part of something. And it's the most important part that Paul is trying to get across to you and me. And that's this, my last point. You need to choose to live in your spiritual home. That's the church. That's this house. That's why everybody is made. When you come into new life, God puts you in a spiritual home. He puts you in a spiritual family where you got spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in Christ. And everything that the enemy wanted to do to take you out in the church, in the safety and the covering of the church, 
God uses it. Man, I'm looking out. I'll tell you what. When I got saved and when I started going to the church, I'm so grateful for faithful men and women like so many of you in the room today. I had a man, thank you, Rusty Williamson. He was the worship leader. He saw me as a, as a young man. He saw the potential in me. And he came alongside me and he began to disciple me. He began to help me make that transition out of my old life into the new life because it's awkward. There's an awkward period. And if you're new to Christ, man, I feel for you. You feel a little bit like one of those calves that they get birthed out of their mouth, they get up and they're all wobbly and they look like they're drunk and they don't know what they're doing. And they don't know how to live outside of the womb. And that's the way for many of us we are. Paul's reminding us, you got a spiritual home. Look at this, Ephesians 2.18. It says, for through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners. You're, you're not strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's, with God's people and also members of his, what? His household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new purpose. And he puts you in a new family. Some of you got decisions, you got choices to make. If you're going to live the new life, you might have to cut off some relationships. You, can, you got to get rid of some dead weight. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but you're not who you used to be. And if you're going to be all that God planned for you to be, you got to get off the dead things. I'm going to close with this story. I think art is beautiful. And one of the artists that fascinates me is Michelangelo. In fact, probably my, my all-time favorite painting is in the Sistine Chapel where he painted God touching man. And those two fingers, man reaching out to God, God reaching out to man and touching man and making him alive. And I love that. It's a, it's a reminder to me of the life. But I also love Michelangelo. I love David. And there's this sculpture Actually, most artists argue that this is the greatest sculpture ever created by an artist. What's interesting, the backstory. You know everybody's got a backstory, right? Like if we could go through this room and you could hear the backstory, we only see the highlight reel. You see who I am today, but you don't know the backstory of what I used to be and what I came out of and what God removed out of my life over time. The backstory on Michelangelo's sculpture of David is that it was the 16-foot piece of marble that was flawed. And at first, Michelangelo wasn't the artist they gave it to. They gave it to this other guy who tried to work on it for like four years. Four years, trying. Man, I'm, he's trying to, to work it, sculpt it, get the flaws out of the marble. And finally, he gave up and he said, I can't do it. And they came to Michelangelo and they said, can you do it? And he says, oh yeah, I can do it. And after he did it, and it was this beautiful sculpture, that old artist, he came to him and he says, how in the world did you take that flawed piece of marble 
And how did you create something so beautiful out of it? And he said, it's the imagined decor. You put up that picture. It's the picture of Michelangelo, David's sculpture. And it's called the imagined decor. He said, because when I look at it, I don't see the piece of marble. I see the image inside all the flawed pieces in the marble and I set it free. He says, I don't see all the flaws. I don't see the marble. What I see is imagine Del Court is the image of the heart. I see the image of the heart and I see inside there and I says he works from the inside out and I set the image free. I believe that's exactly what God does in your life and in my life. He sees you. He sees every part of you. He sees the flaws. He sees your weakness. He sees all of it. And yet he sees a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece in the making. I got a nail here that my brother David gave me. I keep it in my office as a reminder. These are like the nails that nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus chose the nails. Will you choose the chisel? What used to be nails are now chisels in the hand of the creator. That he's taken it and if you'll allow him, he's working every part that's dead off of you. He's just going to chisel it off you little by little. Every flaw, every weakness, every wound from the past, he's removing it. I feel the Holy Spirit in this room removing some dead things off of you. But here's the thing. You've got a choice. Jesus chose the nails. Will you choose the chisel? Will you allow him to do the work because if you don't what people don't realize is as beautiful as a sculpture as David was that in the hall at the Academy of the Galleria in Florence where David's sculpture is there's other sculptures but they don't look like that they're half finished in fact Michelangelo called them prisoners because there were sculptures that they call it the hall of prisoners because as you walk through it, there's statues that began a good work, but they're not finished yet. I wonder how many of you in the room are just like some of those sculptures. You're imprisoned to the past. God started a good work in you. He began a good work in you. And what I want to tell you as we finish this morning is that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it. He will finish it. But the choice is yours and the choice is mine. God, he's taken me so far, but he's not finished with me yet. I'm still putting myself in the master's hand and I'm choosing the chisel because he chose the nails. When I choose to take up my cross and follow him, when I choose to let my old life be crucified with Christ so I could live in the new life that God has for me. Come on, you are not who the enemy says you are. Some of you, you've been believing the lies of the enemy. You've been believing the lies of the past. And today's the day that God is breaking something dead off of you. He's releasing you from the chain of the dead things that are hanging on to you. And he's inviting you. Come on, come up a little bit higher. Come up into my new life. Come on, I want you to just close your eyes. 
I want to pray for you. There's some of you in this room, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but God isn't finished with you yet. And right now, this is your moment where you say, God, I'm choosing the chisel. I'm choosing to give you control, full control of every area of my life. My marriage isn't dead, it's just dormant. Come on, that's a word for some of you. Your marriage isn't dead, it's just dormant. It's alive inside of you. There's a seed in there. Some of you, you've given up on hope. You've given up on purpose in your life. And those dreams, they're not dead. They're just lying dormant. God has a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. If you'll just surrender to him. There's some of you here today that you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. None of this works. For God so loved you. Man, I was dead. You, maybe right now, you're dead. Your life is dead. But God, because of his great love for you, and for me, he can save you through his grace, through this thing called faith. That if you'll choose to put your trust and faith in him, you can surrender your life right now and he can make all things new. Come on, if that's you, you know what? I don't even want to, I want to say a prayer together. What I want to say is we're going to have a ministry team up here at the end. And I want you to come and I want you to pray with somebody. And they're going to lead you in a prayer and you're going to go from death to life. The rest of you here, I want to ask you to just slip up your hand. If there's some things that are dead in your life and you need more resurrection power, you need more of the resurrection life of Jesus, and today you'd say, God, I'm choosing the chisel. I'm choosing to let you take some dead things off my life. Come on, don't be shy. Bold, raise your hand right now. God, he loves it when we're bold and we say, God, we need you. I'm dependent on you. Thank you. God bless you. I want to pray for you. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to worship, but I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for every single person here in this room. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them. God, that you would break off right now. I break off in the name of Jesus. Things that were dead, things that are old, old patterns, old habits, old ways of living. I break it off. I break that chain of dead things hanging on to you in the Jesus name. And right now I pray for resurrection life to come upon you. Right now, Holy Spirit, come and breathe on every single person. Breathe on them, God. Let them get a fresh revelation. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He's not disappointed in you. You're his masterpiece. He loves you. He loves you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.